One thing I love about Christian Life Center is that we're an international church, that we come from different nations around the world. Either we live there, we were born there, our parents from there, or we just have a love for the nations. And I'm telling you, that is a beautiful thing, that brothers and sisters from all nations come together. And this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, a powerful, powerful few scriptures that really talk about what we've been singing and emphasizing in our service today. So I'd like for you to turn with me to John chapter 13. It's the key to our passage and message today. There'll be a lot of scriptures that I will be sharing with you, but the key scripture will be John 13. As you're turning there, let me ask the Lord's blessings on his anointed word. Father, I thank you that we can open your word today. What a tremendous opportunity. What a joy we have to be able to sit and worship and hear your word and to be able to worship you in one mind, heart, spirit, to hear your truth that's proclaimed and unify our hearts in this moment together to be the people in the church that you've called us to be. Use this word, your scriptures that will be read and, and explained today to be truth unto our feet and our path. In your name we pray, amen. Today I want to share with you what I believe is one of the most important things that Jesus has ever said for you and me. The passage that we will look at today really is a passage that we have to take to heart. I've entitled the message today, Taking Jesus Seriously. Do we really take him serious? Do we really take his words serious? Did what Jesus say really, really impact us? Does it really affect us? Does it really, really uh, have a authority in our life? Do we really take his words serious? Or do we come each week and hear the word, hear the messages and go and, and it's good suggestions, it's good thoughts, but the reality is we don't really take it as seriously as we should. I hope that's not the case. I would venture to say for most of us here today, that isn't the case. But yet I feel as though we have maybe missed the most important thing that Jesus has asked us to do. So today when I ask you the question, do you take what Jesus said seriously? I don't want you to answer quite yet until you hear what Jesus shows us is I believe the most important thing and therefore we've got to ask Will I take it seriously? If we can say yes, then I believe that we're on our way to being what God wants us to be. Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, let's look at a few of these scriptures as I set up the thought for us this morning before we make it practical. We want to look at a biblical theology and we want to look at what did Jesus say and how can we take that serious? Put a few out verses in your outline. John chapter 8, verse 31 if you'll look there, Jesus says, Jesus therefore was saying to the Jews who believed. So these were believers. And we are believers now. We're grafted in. We're his followers today. So this command is for us as well. Jesus says to those who believe, if you abide in my word. Abide means remain. If you stay in my word, you abide in my word, then you truly are disciples of mine. 
What's the proof that we are disciples is that we remain and abide in his word. And then you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Can we hear an amen to that? It shall set you free. So Jesus is saying, if you abide and stay in my word, then you truly are my disciples. Look at the next verse I have in your outline. John 14 and in verse 21. He, he who has my command, whoever has my command and obeys them, keeps them, he is the one who loves me. So Jesus says, if you've got my command, you know my command, you know my word, and you obey it, you keep it, then you love me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So Jesus is again saying to you and me, if we keep his commands, then it shows that we love him. Look in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, James would say, hearing is not enough. Hearing the word is not enough. We must hear it and do it and be doers of the word. And here Jesus says, anyone who hears my words and these words of mine he puts into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. But everyone or anyone who hears these words and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man because he's built his house on the sand. So again, Jesus is showing, if you take me serious, then you will take my commands and you will do, you will practice, you will live out what I've said to you. We will take him serious. So what does it mean then as we begin to unpack that even more and we begin to look at it is what are the things that Jesus said that we've got to begin to put to practice? Now, pastor, that is a lot. Jesus has said a lot to us. And so I want to narrow it down to what I believe is the signature of Christianity. I want to narrow it down to that which I believe is the most important thing, and that is that we love one another. The signature of Christianity comes down to this statement right here. Do we love one another? So as we begin to look at what Jesus said, we come to this part of our, our, our outline, WDJS, what did Jesus say? I want to look at the very last night that Jesus was with his disciples. The night that he was with them before he was to, to be crucified. And he's going to pull it all together here for us in these moments. Now, remember that these are the disciples that will carry the mission forward. These are the ones that are going to finish the very thing that he came from heaven to do. The reason he's going to be crucified is going to be left with these disciples to continue it. And what he's going to tell them is very important. In fact, he says, I want you to make this a top priority. I've said a lot to you. I've been with you for three years. I've taught you. I've lived with you. I've been an example to you. But now before I leave you, I want to leave you with what is very, very important, probably the most important thing that I'm going to say to you. The reason is because I won't be with you any longer. Because I won't be with you any longer, you've got to know and you've got to understand what is most important to me. Look at John chapter 13, and this is what he says to them. John 13 and verse 34, he says, a new command, say new command, a new command. 
That means this new command is replacing a old command. You're good. You're pretty smart. You didn't have to go to seminary to get that, did you? The new command is replacing an old command. And he's going to tell us what the new command is. A new command I give to you, that you love one another. Well, that's not new. Love one another. Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 19 tells us, love our neighbors as ourselves. So that's not a new command. But you've got to catch what he's about to say. The old command was love my neighbor as myself. But now what Jesus says is the new command that I give to you is I want you to love one another as I have loved you. So the old command was love my neighbor as I love myself. But the new command is now you don't love your neighbor as you love yourself. You love your neighbor as Christ has loved you. As you begin to look at that, all of a sudden, it begins to unravel, and he begins to show us, if you will love as I have loved you, then you also will love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if the condition, you love one another. And so he begins to help us to see that how do we measure what's the signature of Christianity is how we love one another. And he says, I'm giving you a new command that's going to replace the old. The old is you loved as you love yourself. You do unto others as you would want them to do unto yourself. But now I'm going to change it up and I want you to begin to love as I have loved you. All of a sudden, that begins to bring us into a whole other place where we've got to begin to say, how did Jesus love? And, and, and what was the love of Christ like? How did he put himself to the side? How did he put his pride to the side? How he came to serve and not to be served as he came to, to give his life as a sacrifice to others. And we live in a world that's me first. It's a me mentality. It's put ourselves first. It's climb to the top, be the best, climb over whoever you got to climb over to get to the top. And Jesus is saying, I'm coming and I'm going to change it up. I don't want you to love others as you love yourself. I want you to love them as I love them. He loved those that were hurting. He loved those that normally we would have avoided in, in society. He loved from a heart that said, I'm willing to sacrifice to the place that he gave his own life for those that he loved. And then Jesus says to you and me, the signature that you are my follower the mark of your spirituality, the mark and the sign that you are really a disciple of mine is that you're loving one another as I have loved you puts us in a whole nother category. All of a sudden, we begin to say, whoa, all of this, all, all of this, it's, 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 it's something that begins to take us into a place that we've got to begin to say, God, how can I do that? How can I love as you loved? How can I begin to show love like you showed love? In fact, the disciples wrestled with it. In fact, it's, it's amazing to me when you, you study the context, and I don't have time to go into all of this, but in John chapter 12, they're on their way to this dinner that they're going to have, the, the Lord's Supper that we know, and on the way to the dinner, they're arguing and bickering, that's the disciples, are arguing and bickering about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They're fighting about who's going to be on the right hand. They're fighting of who's going to have the, the prestigious position next to the Lord at the, at the, at the, at the, at the, at the, all through eternity. 
And all of a sudden, Jesus gets to the dinner, John chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. And normally, where a servant would come and wash their feet as they have traveled, as they would enter into a house, a servant would do that. Nobody began to do it, and the disciples didn't move. And Jesus, the scripture tells us, stands and he puts the towel around him and he comes and he kneels and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And as he begins to wash their feet, he humbled himself and he began to put himself in the place of a servant. And he was showing them that he came to serve and not to be served. And then he says a few verses later to them, because they didn't quite get it, he says to them, a sign that you're my disciple is you're going to serve one another. Now today, we don't wash each other's feet. Right? We don't have to wash each other's feet. That wasn't what we have to do in our society, but we've got to begin to say, God, how do we serve one another? What does that look like today? How do we put our pride to the side? And how do we begin to serve with, with a humility, sacrificially, as you would serve today? And we begin to think once again, what did Jesus say? And what does that mean for me today? What do I do today to love like Christ would love? So if he was here today, what would he do? And God help me to do that. Now, the reality is that's going to look different for everybody. And we will have a drawn and uh, we'll be drawn to certain kinds of, of, of individuals and people and ministries. But the reality that we've got to keep in our mind is that we are a reflection of his love. And his love shines through us that it's the love of God that helps us to overcome prejudice. It's the love of God that op- helps us overcome status. It's the love of God that overcomes race. It's the love of God that overcomes social economic economic situations it's the love of God that shines through us and enables us to love like Christ would love and can I tell you that can only be done through the Spirit of God the Spirit of God helps you to look at somebody and you don't see their race the Spirit of God helps you to look at someone and you don't see their color the Spirit of God helps you to look at somebody and you don't see their social status the Spirit of God helps you look at someone and you don't see their educational level the Spirit of God helps you to be linked to another with one another and it's in that love that we show we are his disciples And it can only happen through the Spirit of God. I can't work it up and manufacture it. I can say it, but when you see it, you know it's really there. And that's what God says is a mark that we are his disciples, is that we love one another. As I look at this, I'm amazed because I begin to see all of a sudden Jesus is calling us to love sacrificially, to love like he loved. And it forces me to begin to say, God, how can I do it? And it forces us to begin to put to death the me first mentality. We've got to put to death the me first mindset and we've got to begin to say if I'm going to live according to this new command then God I'm going to need your spirit because my natural flesh is drawn my flesh is drawn to put me first to put my desires first to put my de- my 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 interests ahead of others interests and I put my desires above everybody else and so do you that's our natural inclination so I've got to put that to death and I've got to begin to say, God, can I take this serious? And if I can, help me to do it. Help me to see what you are saying to me that is most important. And can I tell you, the, the early church took this serious. 
Jesus gives this command. He's crucified. He, 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 uh, he, you know, he, he, he goes into the, the heavens. He comes back. He spends 40 days with the disciples. And then his spirit comes. And then you get to the book of Acts. And you begin to see how the early church lived out this command. And when you begin to look through the early church, you see they took it serious. Acts chapter 2, they're gathered together, verses 42 to 46. They're gathered together. They are sharing with one another. There's nobody that's in need. They're meeting together in the, in the sanctuary, the temple court. They're meeting house to house. That's the life group. They're meeting house to house. They're connected with one another. They took this serious, and so should we. 1 John, turn with me actually to 1 John. I want to show you again how serious the early church took this command. In 1 John, a couple verses here. How they, how they understood that this new commandment was a commandment and the early church was known for their love for one another. So here in 1 John, turn over to chapter 3. We'll look over there. Chapter 3, there's several verses here. Chapter 4, chapter uh, 3 and 4 especially is, is just showing us that this is a powerful command that the early church understood. Let's start reading in verse 11. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Go down to verse 16. We should love one another. He gives us some examples of what that doesn't look like or shouldn't look like and what it should look like. And then in verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid his life down for us. We and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers. If anyone has material possession and sees his brother in need and has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, <laughs> uh, how the word speaks to us sometimes. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue only, but with actions and in truth. Look down to verse 23 as we continue. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. Look over in chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an, uh, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Look down to verse 19 as we continue there in chapter 4. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he can see cannot love God whom he cannot see. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So what did Jesus say? Jesus said to you and I on the night before he was crucified, the most important thing that he says to you and me is that we're to love one another. 
How do we do this? I believe Paul gives us a scripture verse here that helps us. In Romans, uh, he begins to show us how we can do this. Verse 10 of chapter 12, be devoted. Be devoted, be committed. It's a word that means be connected like a family is connected, devoted together. Be, convo- be devoted to one another in brotherly love. It's a tender love that comes from the heart. The context here shows us that we've got to begin to love like we would love a family. Now the problem is, is we don't come sometimes from families that are loving, that have demonstrated that family love like we're to have. But the analogy here is it's to be like that love, the tenderness of a mom that holds the child or a brother or a sister that holds a newborn brother or sister and they hold them with love and tenderness is that kind of term. Be devoted to one another. Now, I don't know about you, but as I'm, as I'm at this place in life and ministry and, 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 and even in the size of, of the crowds that come, I'm thankful for what God is doing in our midst, but I don't want us to lose a passionate spirituality that says, God, we want to know you and we want to love you and we want to serve you and we give our whole hearts for that. I don't want to lose that. Neither do I want to lose the authenticness of knowing one another and being connected connected to one another, where it's not just to come and see and go, but it's a come and love and be connected and take a journey together in life because of a love of God that shines through us. That it's not superficial, it's not plastic, it's not something that, that, that is fake or, 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 or just something that we put on when we come in on a Sunday, but that we live life together and in that journey of life we get to know one another, we encourage one another, we inspire one another, we challenge one another, you share words with someone and they share words with you that inspire and encourage one another to be what God wants us to be. In fact, our mission statement, we say every week, we will encourage and build up and not tear down and discourage that we would be the people and the church that God has called us to be, that that would get into our hearts. And we would say, God, teach me how to do it because it goes counter to what the world is doing all around us. In fact, even in Christianity, we see that in Christianity, it it sometimes can get so superficial and shallow and and artificial and and just kind of, you know, performance-based that we put that to side and we say, yes, we want good programming. We want good music and we want good preaching and we want good kids' programs. We want all of that. But most of all, may we be known, may the signature of Christian Life Center be that we love one another but the reality is there's some things that hinder us there's some things that keep us from loving like that and so I've asked Pastor Candy to come today and to finish out this message by sharing with us the practical side of how we can love one another practically because there are some things that keep us from loving one another welcome my wife as she comes and shares the power of relationships gives us life. It's what we need and we cannot replace it. Human connection cannot be replaced fully with technology. We need to remember that all the likes that we get on Instagram or Facebook are people that we don't even know. Not very well, but we think it's important. So this takes takes us away from what's so important 
with human connection. Remember that God wants to help us to understand, to grow from these areas of our lives. What keeps us from experiencing this love in church? It doesn't come automatically. We're not programmed to just love each other. Now, some of us can do it easier, but I tell you, it comes from a healed place. The more that you're healed, the more you can give. The more that God does something inside of you, the more you're not fake, and the more that you are genuine, and the more that you're real with other people. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9 through 10 says, Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more. More. Everybody say more. More. More means that you have to see the person that is in front of you. You have to see who they really are. You have to come to a better understanding that it's not just about saying, oh, how you doing? Yeah, oh, that's really great. Bless God, praise God. Very nice to see you. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Oh, I'm so happy for you. That's great. What happens with us is that we're so consumed sometimes of the things of ourselves that we don't recognize that God actually wants us to be an instrument to someone else. Through being an instrument to someone else, brings a whole new dimension of God's presence into your own life. Because I'll tell you something, God will do a miraculous work and bring blessing upon your life when you allow him to heal you and help you come to a greater understanding of him so that you can be his hands extended to others. This morning I have a simple illustration. I have a midnight pomegranate pocket antibacterial Hand sanitizer. It's interesting. The Lord kind of brought it to me very quickly before I had to, did this sermon last night. And he says, you know, what's inside is antibacterial that helps to take away the germs. The Holy Spirit helps us. And he helps us to protect us. He puts a sifter over our heart that whoever we are with we can be protected. He is the sanitizer of anything that happens in relationships. But what I have and what God's done in me is created a sweet aroma of his presence. So the Holy Spirit is a sanitizer, but when I come to my sister and I share the love and compassion and I see her, and I look into her eyes. I listen. Everybody say listen. listen. I listen to what she's saying. I know some people talk a lot. And let me tell you, God will give you tools to know what to do to get to the point. Trust me. The Lord's very good about that. But he helps me to see her. He helps me to understand. But what is going on in her does not identify who I am. You understand? What her pain or her stuff or whatever she may come and do to me does not create my identity because my identity is in Christ. So therefore, I have more to give. Where do I go? I go out of my way. I find another. God gives me a hand sanitizer. He gives it to me. And then I want you to take this and I want you to know how much I care. 
I want you to know that what I have to give to you is from God. Now, I want you to smell. What do you smell? A sweet aroma. A sweet aroma that comes from my life to your life. Allowing God to use what is necessary to protect my life. The Holy Spirit's big enough to protect me from anything that would come from the outside because I'm allowing God to be the identity of who he is in me and I never stop sharing the sweet aroma of who he is to other people. How do we, how do we, how, what keeps us from experiencing this love? First Peter chapter 1, verse 22 and 23 says, Now that you have purified yourself, and let me, hear me on this, you have to purify your life daily. Amen. Your life has to be purified by the Lord daily. He is the one who keeps you straight. He's the one who helps you to understand how you need to live. And he adjusts your thinking. And he helps you to walk through that. And he asks you to do this so that you can obey. When you obey, then you can identify the truth. Sometimes we walk around with blindness because we don't obey. We, we do certain things, but we obey half-heartedly. We obey halfway. I'll do this, God, because you're going to give me something else. No, 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 no. We do it as a love offering to God. We do it as a love offering to one another. Why? Because the emanated presence of the Holy Spirit can penetrate our lives and change us. There's things that I can't even sit and explain to you because it's a supernatural transformation. I walk around and I'm being able to do things that I never thought I was possible to do, like standing right here. Amen. Years ago, you would never see me here. But the point of it is, is that the God had helped me to understand that it started down there. And it's helped me to understand what it means to walk with one another, with my brother and sister. And through the love that he has called me to be, he helps me to do it to others. And therefore, it's the command that I live the truth. Truth so that you have sincere love, not fake Sincere love for your brother. Love one another deeply from your heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Ever say imperishable. Imperishable, imperishable seed. What God has planted in you will not die unless you let it. What God has planted in you, it will not die unless you let it. If you want to just walk around and be selfish and say, you know what, I've got your attitudes. I, you know the thing about your rights in your life? I have the right. I have the right for this. I have the right. All my rights belong to God. All my rights are yielded to God. Because from that, it changes the perspective of seeing what the truth that should come from my heart and from my life to others is necessary. So God plants in you the greatness of who he is because it is imperishable, because when you are born again, it will not die. It is through the living and enduring word of God that he has planted this. Second Peter for chapter 1, verse 5 through 7, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith what you believe, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. 
A lot of us have some knowledge in here, but we don't have self-control. We know a lot, and we might tell somebody what we know. We like to because we need to be seen, but we got to have self-control. We got to have areas of our lives that we know how to walk it out, not letting things get out of hand, and to self-control perseverance. You have to have self-control to have perseverance. Have you ever seen somebody who's angry and can't handle it? If they're not having self-control, they're not going to be able to persevere through something because they're going to stop and get paralyzed because everything else is going to fall apart. Amen? Amen? How do we learn to live and walk this out? And what keeps us from experiencing this love, even in the church? 2 Peter 1 says, For this very reason, by self-control and perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness to love, vulnerable and authentic, helping us to be vulnerable and authentic. Love is genuine. It's not something that we fake. Now, a lot of us try to do that because of pains and hurts. And what I showed you a minute ago, the Holy Spirit puts a protector. And pains and hurts will come our way. We are afraid. We don't know what's going to happen. And God wants us to help us to understand that he puts a sifter over our heart to be able to deal with people, to be able to walk with people, and to be genuine, even when others are not genuine. When others are not genuine, don't worry about it. You're the one who's genuine. You're the one who stands with God. You're the one who knows who you are. When you know who you are in Christ, you can love unconditionally. Unconditionally. What keeps us? It takes time and effort and intentionality. Number two, it takes time, effort, and intentionality. Most of us often wait when we get done with church. We often wait for others to come up to us. Have you noticed that about yourself? Who's going to come and greet me today? (laughs) Who really loves me in this church? Well, I'll just wait and see. Hmm. And that would just really tell me if this church is really authentic. Mm. God has called us to be intentional to reach out. Let me say this to you. Evidence of being healed is that you will intentionally reach out. And I know that's hard, but I'll tell you this. When God heals and heals and heals and heals you, over and over and over again in different areas of your life by automatic reaction because it's the second greatest commandment. You will love one another. You will love one another. It doesn't mean that we don't love in other ways. Don't get me that wrong, but you will reach out. You will find a way to reach out to others. How many of you are sitting about 10 feet from somebody else? Did you come in and how many of you sat? I got my space. (laughs) Hallelujah. Nobody gets to sit by me. I don't have to feel crowded. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to ask you next Sunday. I know you won't remember, but I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to remind you. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to sit by somebody I've never sat by before. I've never sat by them. But I'm going to do it, and I'm going to greet them, and I'm going to find out who they are, and I'm going to see them. I'm not just going to talk to them. Words are cheap. You've got to be able to see people. You've got to be able to listen. You've got to be able to hear. You've got to be able to speak life into other people. 
God's called all of us to this. Ephesians chapter 2, I mean Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2, be completely humble and gentle, being patient, bearing with one another, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love, O oh God. Making allowance for each other's faults. We make faults. We have faults. Even if our faults seem smaller than the brother that you're working with. Amen? Just don't forget you still have your faults. And that helps you to be able to, God's grace gets in the middle and he helps you to sustain someone else. When even you understand that you're never guilty, you've got faults in your own life. And therefore God will help to rise you up to make even your faults even get better. You'll get better. You'll get better and better and better. And your faults will just deteriorate from your life. You'll be able to walk in the fullness of his grace. Making allowance for each other's faults. Love holds no offense. Love with no expectation if the person doesn't return it. Love them anyway. Because Jesus does the same for you. Number three, we, what keeps us from experiencing this love? We choose to walk alone. What keeps us from love is because we choose. It's our choice. Instead of being with one another, we isolate ourselves, be, then, then being connected. <laughs> We miss out sometimes on some of the greatest lessons that God wants to teach us because we don't make the effort. What happens and keeps us from this is fear of rejection in a relationship. We've been rejected, we've been battered before, things have happened so much, so we begin to protect ourselves because we don't want to risk anymore. And as time goes on, the mask gets fuller and fuller over our face. We start talking talk. We start <laughs> saying things that make people believe things about us. We change, you know, lie a little bit here, do a little bit of this, do a little bit of that. And after a while, this mask is so much more part of us than our, our real face. It's a habit. And we cannot see the difference between ourselves and who we really are. My question to you this morning is, who are you? Who are you really? Who do you really want God to help you to be? In order to be able for this not to become <laughs> so familiar and ordinary, the mask has got to come off or else it will become poison to your life and you'll never know the difference and it'll be a tool that the enemy will use to blind you and keep you from the very furtherance of the purposes of God and the relationships that are necessary. Hear me on this. The relationships that are necessary for your life. The relationships that you have are necessary and God wants to know which ones are good and which ones do you need to walk with and walk and see what will happen in and through your life so the furtherance of his kingdom can go forth and the changes that need to happen in and amongst us. Do you know that, that sometimes you never know there's a, that one day you will see when you get to heaven that your encounter with one person made all the difference in the world? You've got to remember that. So this cannot become a part of you. If not, if you keep living it this way, it will become so a part of you that you won't know what else to do and you won't see the difference. And this will become even more a poison to your life. So my, my heart to you today is to let the mask fall and let God do the healing that's necessary for your life.
We think that we're safe wearing masks. The fear of exposure is very difficult. But I'll tell you this, it is a greater life to let God heal the depths of your heart and become Lord and Lord of all, and King of Kings so that you can walk in the fullness of His grace. Stop pretending. Romans 12, 9 says, do, do not pretend you love others, but really love them. We have to admit that we are a work of sanctification. Selfishness, pride, unforgiving spirit, irritation, impatience. We will never relate to perfect people. We will always have the opportunity to overcome and be able to be healed to see God do a work in us. Pretending was an example in Matthew chapter 23 when he, Jesus spoke to the crowd and to his disciples. He said, this is how they are. He says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do, do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Mm. Everything they do is done for man to see. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. You know, we can't make excuses. God has the power to heal. God has the power to restore. God has the ability to do a work in our lives. And we can no longer make excuses. Even when we have bad family backgrounds, even things that have happened to us, negative church experiences, <laughs> don't let that stop you. Don't let that stop you being a community. Don't let it stop you. The beautiful thing in the struggle of developing relationships is that God forms the mess that we are into something beautiful, and he brings great joy. The fourth thing of what keeps us from experiencing this love is excessive preoccupation with ourselves. We make excuses why we don't want to relate to other people. We're not patient with other people. We judge quickly. <laughs> we judge others by actions. And we judge ourselves by our intentions. Mm. Relationships are messy. But in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, it says, Iron sharpens iron as one friend sharpens another. Even in relationships in your home, I challenge you that you allow the Lord to do his work. God is not, <laughs> he's not far from you. Your relationships in your home can be restored. God can use you because he can be the light in your heart and in your life and in your spirit. Let him do that. Let him show you the way to do that. I'm going to let Pastor Tom finish the sermon, but this I've not done in any other sermon and other sermon this weekend. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to do this today with Tom. And I did this with him so that whoever needed this this morning, it was specifically supposed to be for this service, that God would do a restoring factor if you'll allow him to do that. I hope you feel a sweet aroma, honey. Thank you. As we come to the close of the service, what does this mean for you? I want to challenge you. 
I want to challenge you to take a step. To take a step to say, you know, God, I want to get connected. I don't want to walk alone. There's lots of reasons that we walk alone, as Candy has said. It doesn't come automatic. It takes time, energy, and intentionality. We're focused on ourselves, and, and sometimes it's an excessive focus on ourselves. And because of that, this just doesn't come easy. But I want to challenge you to say, God, give me the strength to take a step. To take a step to connect with a life group, with a ministry group, with a men's group, a women's group, with other young people, with other single, single moms, single parents, whatever it is, to take the step and say, I don't want to walk alone. I want to live this command. If this is the most important command, this is the final command of God, what did he say? Then God, help me. And I'm going to take the step. Now, you've got to make the determination. We can't force it. We can't hap- make it happen. Like Candy said, some of you don't even wait for someone to come. You're already out the door before I finish the closing prayer. When I say, let's say our closing prayer. <laughs> In fact, I've learned, and my drummer's back there. I've learned not even to give you my final point of my sermon, that's the blank, until I'm really done. Because when I give you the final point, you're done. But the reality is you've got to take a step. Don't wait for someone to come and say, hey, will you join our group? Will you join our ministry? Will you do this? I want to challenge you to take the step. Step out. It's a risk. Yes. It's a challenge. It will cost you. Yes. But I guarantee you it's the joy that will come into your life. It will be a joy that will help your walk with God because you walk it out in community. You can grow in your walk with God by sitting there, but you can't grow in your walk with each other by just sitting there. You gotta connect. Which leads to the second practical point, and that is I want you to write it down. Lord, help me to learn how to love. It doesn't come natural, and so God, I ask you to help me learn how to do it. Help me overcome the offenses, the hurts, the pains, the, 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 the things that, that have come my way that keeps me obey. Father, help me to overcome it and learn to love. For the next couple weeks, we're going to continue to to unpack this. We're going to look at what does it mean to love difficult people. Do you have any difficult people in your life? We probably all have a difficult person or two in our life. Maybe they're in your home. Maybe they're in your workplace. Maybe they're a relative. Maybe they're a neighbor. We have difficult people in our lives. We're going to look at what does it mean? What does it mean to love difficult people? We're going to talk about how to restore a broken relationship. If a relationship's been broken, how do you restore that so that we can love like God wants us to love? Can I hear an amen in the house?